Welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. It's Katie and Izzy. And we're coming at you with my favorite movie. Probably my absolute favorite movie. I watched this so many times. <laughs> the Conjuring is still my favorite, but this one is a close second. Uh, this one's just always been my favorite. It scared me when I was little. Um, and uh, now he's tattooed on my forearm. <laughs> and what I mean by he is Ghostface, because we're talking about Scream. The Cause, cause I, yeah. Original Scream from 1996. I was three years old when it came out. Can I just say no, that? No, I wasn't. I was one year old when it came out. I'm not paying attention to the years. I am really annoyed that they named the fifth one Scream as well. Because after all the other ones, they put the number, but this one's literally just called Scream. So you have to put the date to differentiate them. It's super annoying. Um, I have avoided every trailer, every, uh, every every anything about Scream, the new one coming out, or that's out now, um, because I want to see it so bad, and I want nothing spoiled, and I want to go into it completely blind, and I can't wait to go see it, because I, I haven't seen anything, so... It is only in theaters, which movies are starting to do now as things open up prematurely, but it's disappointing because I was really enjoying watching things at home, you know, when they yeah. come out. So. I've been, I love it because like you can make yourself your own food. You can, uh, you can have all the treats and the drinks that you can't have while at a movie theater uh, in the comfort of your own home I mean, on I'm, your couch. I really like going to theaters, but. Having a kid, it's hard to, like, find the time to go to an adult movie, so. Yeah, that's fair. I don't have that problem, but, like, that's understandable for you. I get it. And Scream is considered a satirical horror mystery. Da-da-da-da! -da -da. <laughs> uh, it's the best movie of making fun of horror movies that is an actual horror movie, and it's just so perfect in the way that it's done. Again, I'm really biased when it comes to this movie, though, because I love this movie. It's so dumb, it's so wonderful, and it's so perfectly well-made. I don't think it's dumb <laughs> at all. I think it's just pure genius. <laughs> um, it has it has 11 wins and 11 nominations. 11-11. Bum, bum, bum. But... It's uh some of its wins include uh, Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Films, USA Best Horror, Act uh, Best Actress, Best Writer, Fangoria Chainsaw Awards with the Best Supporting Actress to Drew Barrymore. Um, she won a lot of awards or got nominated for a lot for her intro to this movie. She did good, and I feel really bad about the way that like Wes Craven made her cry and like act in in like the sad and scary situations and to like to actually get her to cry because she was i mean she agreed and to it so <laughs> she did but uh um yeah it's really sad i'm sure we'll get into that later in a minute but um and as katie just mentioned this film is directed by wes craven yeah who... one of the best horror or uh horror directors around and uh well rest in peace sir rest in power you were I miss you. <laughs> His first film was one that he directed and wrote, and it was the 1972 Last House on the Left. Uh, so according to my mom, she and your mom went to the movie theater together 
and saw this and nearly left the theater because it like scared them so bad my mom has not seen a scary movie since this movie um that would only make sense so i don't know if you remember but you and i watched the remake of this yes and i went home to get it because we were all hanging out at your house and my mom was like really you want to watch that movie i was like yeah why not she was like it's an awful movie um and it is it's a it's it's a yeah it's really rough uh, but also, it was his first feature film, his first stab at horror. Looking back, even he is like, that was a really dark, dark story. Yeah. Uh, it was on par with, as far as like how the the uh, public took it, uh, basically it had the same reaction that, crap, what is that movie called? The Hills Have Eyes? No, Silent Night, Deadly Night got. People were in oh. the streets. Uh, tell the people who run the films were burning mm-hmm. it uh, because it was just so dark, <laughs> especially for the seventies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He uh, after that he went on to do The Hills Have Eyes. He which is which is r- rough too. It has a very rough scene. Yes. Uh, the two thousand six version, and that's he's good at writing really <sighs> dark things. <laughs> yeah it's he he, yeah he is and he makes great movies but like if i i enjoy the the hills have eyes but i i have to change i have to like not watch that scene because it's like it's too rough for me on that one it's disturbing it's disturbing yeah it's It's, not yeah yeah there's like fun and gore and then there's just like yeah uh he also did nightmare on elm street uh which uh, I have Robert England's signature tattooed on my arm along with Freddy Krueger, another I, one of my favorites. Can I just say, he, so he refused to do Nightmare on Elm Street 2 because mm-hmm. he knew that they were just trying to like pump it out real quick, like they did with John Carpenter's Halloween. Yeah. Um, but John Carpenter was like, fuck it, I'll do it, because um, he was like, even he admits, he's like, I just needed the money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I appreciate that he took his name off of it, Wes Craven, because he's like, I yeah. don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be associated with it. So well, and it 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 really is the worst of all of them. And uh, yeah, he also but... did Swamp Thing from 1982, Vampire in Brooklyn, My Soul to Take, and then Scream one through four. Unfortunately, he. Is not he doesn't have anything to do with Scream Five because he died August of 2015 of brain cancer at the age of 76. Yeah, it was a sad time. We uh when when he died, all of my uh all of my friends were all horror freaks because we all worked at the haunted house together. We all got together and we watched uh we just did like a Wes Craven marathon, and it was it was really fun and sad because he was damn good and he always did cameos in his films and so uh. It was cool to kind of like see him do his own little stuff. I mean, he did do it in all of them, um, but he is for sure in each of the four screen films. Yeah. My favorite is when he is the first one, and we'll talk about it. But like the way that he appears in this one is so funny. Uh, as a kid, he wanted to be a Disney animator because those were the only movies he was allowed to watch until he was like 20. He had not watched anything other than Disney movies. Uh, because he was raised in a very religious 
uh, community. He went to a very religious school. Like if he said, if you were caught as a student going to a theater, you were immediately expelled. Hmm. Uh, so when he went to college, he switched from being an animator to writing and literature. And he saw like his first movie when he was 20. And I can't remember what it was. Um, but he was like, yeah, I saw it like six times after that. <laughs> Can you imagine seeing your first movie at 20? She'd be like, wow, this is a whole new, like, thing. I don't know. I don't know. I can't imagine what it'd be like. <laughs> was working as an English professor, uh, and then he was like, you know what? I'm going to try film. So he went to New York, like, once or twice uh, to try. He ended up writing The Last House on the Left. Uh, it got picked up, and people hated it, slash appreciated the art i guess of it in a way. <laughs> i don't know yeah uh and then he said that nightmare on elm street actually took a very long time to get funded and it was oh yeah miscellaneous independent small production company guy who ended up picking it up and he was like wow this is like this is so incredible and he got it funded eventually and that's how they made that movie because he was always fascinated. I think he had nightmares as a kid. And so he was always fascinated with that idea of, like, nightmares and how they can, like, affect your waking day and stuff like that. Well, uh, so if I remember correctly, the production company that funded Nightmare on Elm Street, um, I know we're not talking about this, it was Robert Shea. And that's what ended up creating New Line Cinema, is the success of Nightmare on Elm Street and what they built is what ended up building New Line Cinema and what it is today. Yeah, it is produced by Robert Shea, and he is the creator of the of New Line Cinema. I remember I, I watched a documentary. It's in, I believe it's the it's a TV show on Netflix called the uh the films that made us. Oh, okay. Or the movies that made us. They do uh they do all the horror movies. Well, all the main like ones, and they talked about Nightmare on Elm Street and how that production company spent every bit of money that it had put it into Nightmare on Elm Street to just build this, hopefully build what would end up being the company that it actually is. So they did damn good with what they were going for. I always wonder if the people who said no or like rejected him ever look back and go, hey, I think that got pitched to us and we said no. You know, I think about that with J.K. Rowling and uh, Harry Potter all the time too, but like sucks to suck, man. Uh, Wes Craven is often considered, so Wes Craven is often credited as rewriting the genre of horror. Um, yeah, oh yeah. Because he wrote very, like, strong, smart women who were more, like, real life. Um, yeah. In an article, he said that his daughter was watching a movie with him one time and she, like, tripped and fell on nothing. And she was like, wow, that would like that was really unrealistic. Like women don't just trip out of nowhere every time. I mean, that yeah. like really resonated with him. And he was like, none of these women are like acting the way somebody really would. And so that's why he started that became like a thing for him was writing regular women, quote unquote. But yeah, so that was pretty cool. And then when he first got pitched Scream. He actually didn't want to do it. And then his assistant, whose name is Julie Pet Pleck, kept pestering him about it and being like, hey, remember that, that one 
script remember screen like you should do that one and so he ended up picking it up and she went on to co-create the vampire diaries tv series that's rad one little fun thing that i found out was that the title of this of scream was inspired by michael jackson and and, uh, uh janet jackson's song scream which is actually my favorite Michael Jackson song. So, like, no wonder this is my favorite movie. What's weird? It all just fits in line. <laughs> uh, what's weird about the title is that right up until it basically got released, uh, the title of it was supposed to be Scary Movie. Yep. And the crew and everyone was really against changing it to Scream because they had made you know, like fanny pack. They had all this paraphernalia, like the working crew that they Mm -hmm. had made with the name Scary Movie on it. Um, And the theme of the movie is scary movies. It talks about the algorithm of scary movies. They reference every big scary movie under the planet. They make pop culture references to actors. They talk about themes and like living in movies so like scary movie the title really fits Uh, i like the title screen for this more but i love that the parody that came out the scary movie parody that's based off this movie chose to call itself scary movie right it's perfect it's done so well (laughs) and that's why but i didn't know that but it's perfect it's oh yeah so well do you know why they chose that song like that title because it's not like michael jackson is in this i don't hear any michael jackson songs although i could be missing them i'm like Um, he has nothing to do with this film so i'm just wondering if you know why so according to uh shitty people (laughs) (laughs) uh they found inspiration in the song that was performed by by michael jackson and janet janet jackson you know honestly let's just uh Let's just not talk about it. It's it's kind of a... It talks about Harvey Weinstein, and I don't want to talk about Harvey Weinstein because, you know, he he was listening to the song, and, uh, of course, the song was Scream, and I don't know. They just thought it was perfect. But, um, it, yeah, it has to do with Harvey Weinstein, and I don't really give a fuck. <laughs> so the song Scream came out in 1995. Oh, okay. Which means it would have been, like, all over the radio, fresh in people's minds when this movie got filmed in... Yeah, it took them mm, eight weeks to film this. It had it had low it had a low budget. It was very small, so I wouldn't call it low compared to the other movies we've seen. I mean, okay, yeah, fourteen million dollars compared to the horror movies nowadays. That's hella low, but like, but like compared to John Carpenter's The Halloween, which had like less than five hundred, and they were using their own clothes as costumes and shit. Yeah, so yeah, I mean that's fair. And a lot of the scary movies we've done have been filmed in like 14 days. So Yeah. <laughs> they had every opportunity to make this a good film. So I'm glad Oh, 100%. It, it fit the standard. They they did great with it. Um it was written by Kevin Williamson and he is the one that did Scream 1, 2 and 4 and uh you know Scream 3 is the only one I I'm always just like, yeah, we can skip it. We don't need to watch that one. It's the one I have the least interest in. I I think that's the only one I haven't seen. It's the one that, that one and uh, I think number two normally play on TV the most or did back in the day. Um, But yeah, number three was just always so off compared to the other, the other ones that I just, 
Well, now you know why. <laughs> I mean, granted, I own them all, but um, he's also done. Uh, I know what you did last summer and Vampire Diaries, so I think he co-created with uh, Julie Fleck. I think oh, okay. That, I guess that would make sense if they worked together on this. He did have some ideas for Scream while watching the 1994 episode um, of the ABC Turning Point, which was about the Gainesville Ripper. He was house sitting alone, and he saw an open window, and he had sworn he had locked it previously, and so. He started to get to work. Um, he was inspired by the idea that, like, a murderer could scare an entire community, and specifically a school campus, because here's our first true crime look of the day. There's another one later, which I didn't even know about this one. I know I'd been teasing a true crime. This is not the one I thought of. I was thinking oh. of. <laughs> uh, I just happened to find this out, so... I learned. But the Gainesville Ripper is what he is not so fondly called, I guess. He was born Danny Rowling in 1954 near Shreveport, Louisiana. He unfortunately had an abusive childhood. His dad was a cop, which makes it extra awful. Oh, uh, yeah. He, like, yeah, sounds about right. His family had no hope in a prayer. Yeah. Uh, but that really messed him up psychologically. Not that that's an excuse for his later actions, but it is an origin story, I guess you could say. <laughs> in 1990, he abused and murdered five students on the University of Florida campus. Uh, it took him, I think he did it over the span of like three or four days. So it was like one, two girls were murdered, and then the campus got rocked. Uh, and then some more people were murdered, and then some more people were murdered. So it was very much like the scream where it was just mm -hmm. scary, Just scary. back to back, and all of a sudden everybody's in shock. And Yeah, and that's what he was fascinated with, was that idea. Hmm. Basically, Danny Rowling is an awful human being. His second victim was posed after he cut off her head. And then he placed the head on a bookshelf and made her look like she was, like, sitting at the edge of her bed. Oh. Yeah. He was fucked up. Oh, and because his father was a cop, he was pretty good at covering his tracks. And so after this murder spree, the police had, like, no leads for a long time. Well, fuck, of course not. He's over here, like, learning everything from his dad that he can learn. Yeah, <laughs> he was good at cleaning himself up afterwards. Uh, he actually got caught because he had been arrested for a burglarizing charge of a Winn-Dixie somewhere else. And this was two weeks after the, the last murder. Hmm. Uh, so he was just like sitting in a jail cell for burglary. And he had been in and out of prisons for a long time before 1990 because he would continue to rob things and assault hmm. people. Um, he'd actually, like, broken out of a couple of jails. I don't know. Jesus. I feel like it shouldn't be that easy, but apparently it might be. <laughs> but yeah, so he got arrested, and then the police started connecting the Gainesville murders to some murders that happened in Shreveport many years prior. Uh, it was a young woman, like a 20-year-old woman, her father, and then her eight-year-old nephew had been murdered. And the reason they connected those is because of the posing of the bodies were similar. So they hmm. started testing DNA of inmates, I think, in Shreveport and Gainesville. Um, and 
Thus, they discovered Danny Rowlings, and it took them four months after the last murder in Gainesville to connect him to those murders. He ended up confessing and was executed October 25th, 2006. Random note, because in the article it talked about how his last meal was like a lobster tail and some other bullshit. Some bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Uh, but I googled, because I was interested. <laughs> the cost of last meal in Florida is $40, so you can't spend more than $40. In Oklahoma, it's only $15. Hmm. Which is like... I don't know, a spread at Wendy's. I'm not sure what kind of delicious meal people are getting for 15 bucks, but not that I think they deserve to have like a fancy last meal, but that's neither here nor there. Anyways, uh, on a happy note, uh, not happy note, uh, <laughs> not to end on his ugliness, the victims are Julie Grissom. She is the first one that got murdered in Shreveport. I think it was because he got fired from a job. He just, like, took it out on this poor family. Her father, Tom Grissom, and her nephew, Sean. The So the students, it was Tracy Inez Pales, Sondra Larson, Manuel Taboada, <laughs> Krista Hoyt, and Christina Powell. One of them is a male, Manuel. He's the only male because I think he was in the apartment that one of the women was murdered in. Hmm. Uh, there's That was like a very brief overview. There's a lot that goes into those, and they are awful, horrific murders. Uh, there's plenty of podcasts talking about it, if you're interested. Um, he's a big deal, I guess, in the true crime world. But I just wanted to throw that in there real quick, uh, so that you get the idea of why, like, William's story, the campus and everything, it's definitely reflected in this film. So, the movie takes place in a fictional small town in California called Words Woodsboro. It starts out with 17-year-old Casey at home alone getting ready to watch a movie, and she's uh, cooking some old-school hot uh, popcorn on the oven uh, with one of those, like, aluminum foil tops. I don't, I, I have only ever cooked one of these in my entire life. I've never done popcorn like this. I haven't either. And I, I don't I, think I did it right, because I definitely didn't get all the popcorn I, say, I've, I feel like I have a hard enough time using a microwave. I would 100% burn all of it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was weird. Um... But it's one of those that you you put a, you put on the oven and it, it, I don't know it's weird. Argu uh, arguably, this is my favorite series. This my favorite scenes, I guess, in this whole movie. The opening, I love it so much. It's it's well done. So Drew Barrymore plays Casey. She was originally offered the role of Sydney Prescott, who is the main uh, main character in Scream, but she had scheduling conflicts. Or just simply was more drawn to the character of Casey. But she did get nominated and won a few awards for Best Supporting Actress in this role. So, I mean, at least she embraced it and did damn good with it. <laughs> but kind of in like a Black Christmassy way, referencing uh, another episode, past episode. Casey gets a phone call from a creepy man who is asking her questions. You know, what's she doing? What is she watching at home? What's her favorite scary movie? Just kind of random things that... You know, she, I don't know why she kept, she stayed on the phone. Any, any person like that, that calls, I would have been like, yeah, okay, fucking bye. And she was 17 and like flirting and it wasn't even like a sexy voice. It was, like, yeah, kills me, but yeah. Um, 
this is where I mean this is kind of where the first mentions of like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and like the references to the old other horror movies was made Halloween being one of the more classic original slasher horror films which makes sense to reference um, along with uh, Wes Craven's own Nightmare on Elm Street so they reference Halloween so much throughout this film Oh, yeah, it's even played. I mean, like, we'll get back to it. But, yeah, Halloween is all over this film. And I think, if I remember correctly, it's because Wes Craven kind of wanted to pay a little bit of a tribute to John Carpenter. But I can't remember exactly, so don't quote me on that. I think it's part of the satire of it all uh, because he was creating a... He was kind of creating, like, a strong woman who... Well, it's the same idea where it's a slasher stalker who kind of walks like it's not like he has to work very hard to get these people <laughs> at the beginning um right right but it's the same idea it's a slasher stalker in a white mask and even casey points that out she's like oh it's just guy in a white mask stalking people home alone and so i he's just drawing on that and kind of paralleling it with his own story the voice of ghostface is done by Roger Jackson. He had voiced video games and uh, is also the voice of Mojo Jojo on the Powerpuff Girls, <laughs> which is fucking awesome. Um, and he's also a, a voice in Mars Attacks, which is a damn good movie as well. So he's able to make strange voices and it works well and make raspy things. And uh, he just knows how to control his voice box like I don't. <laughs> yeah, he could do a lot of impersonations. And I fucking sounds. wish I could do that shit. So as Casey's sitting there mysteriously flirting with this random voice that's calling her, or he then says something on the lines of, well, how will I know who I'm looking at? Which would be incredibly terrifying if you're home alone and nobody's around and you live so far away from neighbors. Yeah, and uh, every one of these houses is like on the outskirts of some massive vineyard. Yeah. So she gets spooked and she's like, well, my boyfriend's going to be here in, a, in just a little bit. And he'll kick your ass because she starts getting defensive and scared and he starts laughing in her face pretty much because he he knows. (laughs) So he tells her to go over to the back door and she turns on the light and sees her boyfriend restrained in a chair near the pool. And uh, he decides to go, hey, let's let's do a quiz to see if you can save your boyfriend. Do you know these horror movies kind of things? Want to play a game? Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. He's qu- he's quizzing her on all these movies, referencing Halloween um, and Friday the 13th. And I think it's hilarious that he that this question is asked because, um, well, it's always the main mistake that everybody makes about Friday the 13th. The, the question that she fails on is, who is the killer in Friday the 13th? The original. Do you know, Izzy? Well, yeah, I just watched I mean, the besides stream, watching... Okay, so. I guess you watched the movie. Otherwise, um, I've never seen Friday the 13th, so okay. I, I've not seen a single one. I have no idea. I know so I struggle. Jason I is, struggle but... with Friday the 13th. It's one of my non-favorite movies. But yeah, he, she's... You know, she hops up, gets excited. It's Jason, because everybody does that. And um, in the first Friday the 13th, uh, you don't fucking see Jason, because Jason's not the killer. It's his mom. Uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't fucking seen it. but yeah that's also just another little pet peeve that i have about friday the 13th is like everybody's like jason i'm like jason wasn't even the fucking real killer anyways she fails the the quiz her boyfriend gets killed gutted get it got you like a fish one of my favorite lines from this movie so he ghostface basically slowly chases casey around the house and ends up killing her and uh right just right as her parents return home 
which is kind of sad because like he, I guess he's I assume he stabbed her in the lungs which is why she couldn't speak because yeah she gets stabbed in the lungs first because he wraps her, his arm around her and then he cuts her throat later and then um hangs her up from a tree by her intestines it's great <laughs> uh but of course you know uh her parents hear her on the phone because they try to call for help after their house is almost burning down because the popcorn was never turned off and it catches fire because damn that kind of popcorn her mom goes to try and find help and sees her strung up by her intestines on the tree in front of their house two things as a parent that is just like traumatizing so, I can Im- I, yeah yeah two uh they hung her up real quick he yeah dude and that was like a higher tree like where he where she was strung up so that that's fucking impressive i'm thinking they probably had the rope and everything in place before he i don't want to give away (laughs) i'm ruining this (laughs) uh ghostface had it probably prepared ahead of time but still that was quick yeah a common story that craven used to remind uh, drew barrymore which is what i was talking about earlier uh for her crying and and to get her like actual reactions of sadness and fear uh he would remind drew barrymore of her childhood trauma that she had where her dog was uh burned alive by the owner was it um, her dog it wasn't her dog it was just a dog was it oh no okay so it was i don't remember if it was her dog i don't think it... that would make her the owner <laughs> that burned it well, alive. <laughs> I, I, okay, yeah you're right okay so uh she had childhood drama from uh, watching a dog get burned alive by its owner and it just constantly made her cry which uh, fuck yeah that would work for me too there's a scene in butterfly effect where the evil fucked up brother uh burns burns a puppy in a bag yeah i remember that i I love that movie it's very great that was uh, yeah upsetting yeah it is the other part of this scene so she gets stabbed in slow motion and they don't cut away from anything um you see it it happens and originally they tried to get craven to cut this part out the scene because it was too violent or something like that uh, because it was slow motion and stabbing but he argued that they didn't have any other footage to use like they had to use it this was all they were going to be. So they eventually gave in and let him keep that scene. But he had to like... Him for fighting for that. Yeah, he had to fight to get it to be left in. Stand up for what you love. <laughs> he also had to fight to be able to use the ghost face mask. Yeah. Because the production company, or like whoever makes those decisions, I guess, wanted to create their own mask, like Michael Myers, so that they could market it and own the rights to it. So they brought in people to create the the mask the way that he wanted it. They tried to like mirror it off of that but make it their own and he was just like, "No." He's like, "No, nah, man. I want that I want that mask." Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very plain but perfectly iconic in every way it's i like the expression it's like it's like expressive. it's the best expression <laughs> uh, supposedly the custom masks that were made by k and b effects still appear in the scenes involving the murder of casey becker which is the one we just covered and mm-hmm. principal Hembry, who dies later uh, because these films or i'm sorry these scenes were filmed prior to them getting the rights to use that mask the ghost face mask 
was first developed for novelty stores during the Halloween season between 1991 and 92 by Fun World as part of a series entitled Fantastic Faces. The mask itself is known as the Peanut-Eyed Ghost, which is that's fucking hilarious. Awkward. Part of part of the inspiration of like the actual rest of the wardrobe for this was from the painting Scream, and if you know the painting, uh, well, the mask looks pretty close to the face form a little. <laughs> well, that's what inspired the mask, also. And, yeah, and that's what they they wanted the entire outfit with the whole black, just the mask to stand out with the rest of the black. That's that's just it's a good it's a good painting, man. Inspirational. Uh, the actually found the first like the first time they saw the ghost face was while they were scouting for locations. A producer named Marianne Madalena mm-hmm. saw it inside of one of the houses they were scouting, which ended up being the house that Tatum Riley. Uh, or, I'm sorry, the house of Tatum Riley and Dewey in the film. Yeah, um, which is a beautiful fucking house. It's really cool. I mean, I mean, you only see parts of the little parts of her house, but like, it's still a pretty interesting house, from what I can tell. Also, apparently, in this scene, <laughs> there's a part where Craven is actually dressed up as Ghostface and attacking <laughs> Casey. Um, I can't differentiate between the two. Uh, I had to Google a lot because a lot of people didn't know which one he was is it where casey gets hit with the phone or is it where casey hits ghostface with the phone i don't know all it all the okay i think it's when casey hits ghostface with the phone because i don't remember her getting hit with the phone yeah when i I, read it all it read was uh oh yeah uh ghostface is in the or i'm sorry west craven is dressed as ghostface when the phone hitting scene and i was like yeah, because she she hits him hit. in the face, like straight in okay. the face with the phone. So I assume it's that. It's it's her hitting him, not her getting hit. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. There you go. Which is interesting that they did just use a stuntman for that particular scene. Hey, kind of like Halloween, you got to use what you got to use. That's um, true. That's true. But that same night, you're introduced to the heroine, Sydney Prescott, who is played by Neve Campbell. She has seven wins and 11 nominations. Most of them are for Scream. Her first big role was in The Craft as a a side character, and she was great. I fucking love that movie. The original Craft is a great movie. But Scream was her first leading role, and after she did that, she did Wild Things, which is a a raunchy... It's it's kind of weird, yeah. In addition to Barrymore, Craven also considered Brittany Murphy to play Sydney. I can't picture Brittany Murphy being this character. I yeah, I couldn't see Brittany Murphy being being Sydney, but apparently that's who he originally wanted. Um, I think Neve embraces Sydney very well. She has like this weird way of getting really breathy when she's upset. <sighs> yeah, that kind of is weird, but it's very honest to like how people mm-hmm. are. So when you're introduced to Sydney, she's you see this innocent version who's uh, dating the bad boy Billy Loomis, which you know sounds familiar. Samuel Loomis, Halloween, just another throwback to to that nice little uh, movie. <laughs> they did good with those little hints. <laughs> um, they're Billy subtle, is, but they're there. I mean, they're not yeah. subtle. I'm just kidding. They're just there. 
So Billy is played by Ski Ulrich, and I love him. I still, to this day, have a massive crush on him. I think he's very handsome and attractive. And fun fact, tomorrow, the 20th, uh, January 20th, is his birthday. Oh, nice. Yeah, so happy birthday, Skeet. uh, Skeet. Very interesting name. (laughs) That wasn't Um, his, that's not his given name. His given name's, like, Brian something something. Yeah, Brian Ray Trout. That's what it is. Trout. Trout. <laughs> so uncredited, he's he's uncredited as a thug in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 1990. Um, he is also in the craft, and most recently he's been playing F.P. Jones in the Riverdale TV series, and um, totally watched those. Totally love him. Still have a crush on him. <laughs> I really do like Riverdale. It's a great show, though. He he's not in it anymore because he left. Yeah, the well, last season, but yeah, he was. I think the latest episode or the latest season that's on Netflix is like his last season that he was in the show. He was uh, quite attractive as. He's such a badass, and I mean, man, I've had a crush on him since day one of seeing this movie. So like, he's great in my book. Um, <laughs> but in the scene, he Billy sneaks into Sydney or sneaks into Sydney's room through the window and mentions their relationship used to be an NC seventeen rating, and now it's a. Uh, what did he say? Edited for TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he was watching The Exorcist. There's another movie. Yeah, and it was edited for TV. <laughs> so I had to Google because I'd never heard of NC-17 before. Oh, and really? This is considered one of the most restrictive and highest ratings a movie can get, while rated R means that kids under 17 need to be accompanied by an adult to watch it. NC-17 means absolutely no children under the age of 17. Yeah. Scream almost got rated as NC-17 because of the slow motion violence and the amount of stabbings that happened. And so you know, Craven had to like fight and convince them that it was not NC-17. And I think he even says they actually cut out some of the obsessive stabbings that happened in the murders because that was the only way they could get them to drop the rating. Well, so it's amazing to see that kind of like different like change in uh, in the way that things develop, because most recently Rob Zombie, when he created 31, it took him three different edits to make it not uh, to make it rated R instead of NC-17 because of like certain things. But you look at like R rated horror movies now and there's so much gore and there's so there's so much that you're allowed to see and you're allowed to do. And it's just crazy to see that that was too much in the day. But 1990s, man. <laughs> so uh, the next day at school, you meet Sydney and Billy's friends. Uh, first is Tatum Riley, who is played by the wonderful and beautiful Rose McGowan, a.k.a. Paige Hallowell. Um, actually, it's Paige Matthews. But uh, Charmed, man. Got to go back to our Charmed. She's She was technically the fourth sister in Charmed, if you know anything about it. But she was also in a movie called uh, Jawbreaker, which is a fucking great movie, by the way. I haven't seen uh, it yet. It's not free oh, or anything, so I haven't seen it. It's so good. I, I, fa- I randomly found it on TV one day when I was at my parents' house. And, and oh, it, it's great. It's wonderful. And it made me fear Jawbreakers for a little bit, to be honest. Um, she's also it, in... I've heard it referenced often, so I know it's good. Oh, yeah. It's a damn good movie. The Black Dahlia. She's also in Nick, uh, Nip Tuck, 
Once Upon a Time. She's done a lot of TV shows. Um, and she's also done some docuseries about her activism or her activism message, which is called Citizen Rose. I didn't know anything about her life. Uh, Apparently neither did I. <laughs> uh, yeah. So fucking crazy. She has not had a pleasant, pleasant life. No. Um, she was born in Florence, Italy, where her parents lived in a commune of the children of God, which later they changed their name to like cog and aka a cult <laughs> uh they originally started out in 1968 as teens for christ by preacher david brandberg the group initially consisted of like hippies and just free loving folks and was founded on the concepts of salvation spiritual revolution and happiness and the total distrust of the outside world so essentially they were just building little communes of hippies all over the place in america and then they went international and it basically became this wild cult as large groups of people do because they attract a particular type of male yes it's mm -hmm. men's fault yeah eventually this <laughs> cult uh, gets involved in allegations of rape and incest and child abuse and sexual assault and just all the awful all things. All the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every bit of it. And that is when her parents decided to leave and they moved to Oregon. And her, like, escape story, it's like a legitimate escape story. She could make a movie based off of what she had to do. Uh, they had to leave in, like, the dead of night. They hid out in this little shack for a long time she remembers people the cult was like looking for them um and she she was like oh yeah we had to leave because they were telling my dad he had to like rape a 10 year old and he was like no nah, i'm not about that life this isn't what i wanted <laughs> so it was fucked up uh, but they moved to oregon she emancipated herself at, at the good. age of 15 <laughs> and i mean it sounds like her parents were good um but it was like her, she had two siblings. This was also like a polygamist uh, commune idea. Mm -hmm. And so the woman who left with her dad, I don't think it was her birth mother. I think it was a different wife, but don't quote me on that. Um, anyways, she was 19 when she got cast as Tatum. Damn. And she said she almost didn't get the part. Uh, two things happened. Uh, so one, she kept getting called back and when she figured out that Neve Campbell was playing Sydney, she was like, oh shit, I gotta change my hair because we look too much alike because she had that brown, dark brown hair. So the day of her casting or whatever, she told them, oh, I'm going after straight from here to get my hair dyed blonde. And then the next day they called her and hired her for the job. But then while they hmm. were in negotiations for this job, they offered her originally $100,000 for the, the project. Her lawyer was like, no, 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 200000 And that made them really angry because that was really high for like a first-timing star back then. Mm -hmm. And the lawyer just like would not drop it. Uh, and unfortunately, this film was also produced and funded by Harvey Weinstein. But she eventually took the part with uh, the 50,000. Oh, I'm sorry. They offered her originally 50,000 was what they offered her. Yeah. Uh, and then, so when she agreed to the, or her lawyer conceded, I guess, 
She only got paid 50000 while the rest of the cast negotiated theirs to 100000 But they refused to give it to her because they were just being jerks. She was 19 young and uh, didn't know too much better. <laughs> yeah. In interviews, credits a lot of this character to herself. Uh, she has this saying of like, whenever you get hired on a project, you should try to make it better than when you first got there. So she said that when she first got to set, they put her in like super grunge clothes and it was like oversized overalls and keds like ankle high keds or whatever high tops is what i meant to say and her bedroom had like grunge posters all over the wall and she's like this isn't what like this isn't how this character reads this isn't how it should be so she went to the mall bought a shit ton of clothes for the character and then she saw the set and she's like let's put cat posters up and like let's change this up and they liked her suggestions, obviously, because they took them. And she yeah. did a phenomenal job with this part. Yeah, I I also can't picture her character being, like, this weird grunge teen. No. So I'm glad they did that. Yeah, she's, a, she's definitely the preppy popular girl and much better at it. She was really excited for this role because she was excited to be a part of a project where, and she said, I quote, to subvert the scream queen trope. So she's not just, like, this helpless, unsmart kid, you know? Mm -hmm. um, she also couldn't scream, and she told Craven that. So it, in her death scene later, she's like, I was yelling. I can't scream. I'm not a scream. I'm not a, I'm not a scream queen. I'm not a scream queen. It's just not going to work. <laughs> Fair. I mean, at least, at least she uh, admitted it and can, can uh, take accountability for not being able to, to scream well. But, I mean, she got what Craven was trying to do, which is really impressive. Because even Craven didn't know what he was doing at that time. <laughs> like, he didn't, oh, yeah. he didn't realize the impact of what he was doing. So. Yeah. As I said, this was uh, Rose McGowan's first, what's the word, encounter with Weinstein. And yeah. he ended up affecting her greatly in 1997 when he sexually assaulted her, among many of his survivors. And so... She, since then, was a major outspeaker uh, against Weinstein. Uh, she is a leading voice in the Me Too movement. Um, unfortunately, it put a lot of strain between her and her co-star for Charmed. Yeah. Uh, which is really upsetting to hear as a fan. There was so much yeah. drama on that set. <laughs> uh, they had... That's so, that poor set, no matter what, it always had drama through it, I feel. Which is really unfortunate. As, yeah. Like, we hate, as people who love shows, you get really involved in the friendships and the story in TV mm -hmm. series. And when you find out that, like, they hated each other or that they don't talk anymore, it sucks. Even though, like, I understand. They literally work together 18 hours a day. They're competing against each other. Oftentimes, there's a lot of other people rumoring about them and crap so i get it but it just it sucks mm -hmm. the last thing i'm going to say about rose mcgowan is she loved her part on this film so much that despite the tie to the monster that is weinstein she has said in an article with l you can be proud of your work and dislike a system really resonates with today with like cancel culture quote unquote because yeah there's a lot of crap coming out about this industry, and it's really hard to separate those people from the works. And you don't want to, like, 
like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you don't want to boycott our favorite TV show just because Joss Whedon was is a, like a great yeah. douchebag. Um, and that's people were really getting angry at Sarah Michelle Gellar for a minute because she was like, I still love my role, uh, even though the ugliness that was happening on that set. But this is like the same idea. So I like that yeah. she said that. She's a very grounded and articulate woman activist person. Yeah. So Tatum in Back to Scream uh, is dating Stu Matcher. Matcher? 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 I think. I think it's pronounced Matcher. Who is Casey's most recent ex. Dun dun dun. Also played by the most handsome and beautiful Matthew Lillard. Uh, I love him. I always had a crush on him too. Um, We have talked about him in 13 Ghosts. He was one of the main characters. He initially auditioned for Billy Loomis, but in a Variety article, Lillard talks very fondly of this film and that Craven was kind of like a father, like a father figure on the set. And he kind of looked after a lot of the cast because they were all so young. Because, I mean, like we said, Rose McGowan was 19. And in the 13 Ghosts episode, we talked about how he really talked a lot of shit about that movie. And he was like, you yeah. know, there are some projects where you're doing and you just know it's going to be shit, but you're like, what am I going to do? Okay. And yeah, uh, he hasn't said things like that about this movie. I think he, he genuinely... The whole cast loved being a part of this movie. Yes. And to this day, I think even he and Billy were like trying to figure out how they could get brought back <laughs> in the new ones. Oh, like, yeah. They're like, listen. They're like, come on, let's, let's do this. Yeah. I mean, Billy, there's um, no way, but he, I guess, kind of could have, but... Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, no, he dies. <laughs> maybe. Okay. He, yeah, he totally dies. <laughs> no, maybe. There's an article where he's like, no, listen, I've just been in jail this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> he's um, like, I'm just hanging out in prison. But he does so well at this part. Uh, it's just so... They all do so perfectly well, but it is a young cast, and it's nice to know that uh, that Craven, you know, looked out for them, because he did care. He cared about his work, and he cared about keeping it together. And a lot of them said that even though it was, like, a murdery, dark film, he was... He, like, kept it light, and it was a genuinely, like, fun environment to be in. Yeah, I can, I can see that. The last friend you meet is Randy, who is a horror movie nerd played by Jamie Kennedy. He's an extra in the Dead Poets Society. He's in Romeo and Juliet and lots of other kind of stuff like that. He was almost cast over for this spurt, or yeah, he was almost cast over for this spot uh, when they considered Seth Green, which would have been so funny. <laughs> they look very similar. And he said in an article, like, that was the guy I was always competing with for parts. You know, I could... I could see that. That would make sense. At the school, where they're at, where all the, all the students are at, there's all these new ca- newscasters everywhere. There's barriers up. And everybody's talking about the death of Casey and Steve, which is where we meet Gail Weathers, who is the tabloid journalist trying to make it big in the world, who uh, ended up writing a book about Sidney Prescott's mother's murder, which happened almost exactly a year prior to this murder in the same town. And Sidney was the key witness in the conviction of the of the murder of her mom which the murderer's name was cotton weary who was being found guilty of the murder while gail supported his innocent uh, innocence kind of creating tension between the two and lots of uh, uh animosity yes yeah, that's a good yeah. word <laughs> there's there's a lot of hate between these that's two a basically little word right there mr 
Sometimes I use big words and know what I'm talking about. So Gail Weathers is played by Courtney Cox, uh, who was 32 at the time. There are snippets of Cotton Weary, who is played by, is it Leave? Sure. I think it's Leave Schreiber. Liv Schreiber? Liv Schreiber? I don't know. Who we know from Salt and like X-Men Wolverine Origins. He's the, uh, he's uh, Sabretooth? That's his name, right? He's X-Men's brother. And Wolverine's brother. X-Men? Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Wolverine's brother. Pretty sure it's Sabretooth. I could be wrong. I might be wrong. I don't know X-Men very well. They're not related. Sabretooth isn't related to Wolverine, I don't think. Okay. Um, Well. His face, I recognize his face, but I can't place him in anything. I just saw those movies and I was like, I guess this is where I've seen him in. (laughs) But I, like, I don't know. I can't have very weird, like, very... Every once in a while, I can place his face, but like I couldn't pull any of his movies out of the yeah, air. That's where I am. Too. I'm like, I know he's an actor, but I'm like, I don't know what you've been in. Yeah, Sydney's dad is supposed to be going out of town for business when she gets home from school. Uh, her and Tatum have plans to hang out that night. Uh, Tatum just has to get off cheerleading practice. So oh, is that uh, what practice she's at? I was like, yeah, she's at cheerleading practice. Okay. Uh, so Sydney ends up taking a nap while she waits for Tatum to pick her up so she can stay at her house and sydney's house is crazy cool it's super pretty and big very big curious to know what her father does to be able to afford or he got a lot of money from the settlement of the murder (laughs) of his wife but i still imagine they had that house before that tatum says they can rent the tom cruise movie all the right moves and if you try and pause at the right spot you can see his penis so I... i googled it um, this oh is another boy. movie reference. They reference a shit ton of stuff throughout this film. Oh yeah, um, and a lot of them are like pop culture. So I googled it, and apparently there is some sort of like sex scene where you can, if you freeze frame it, you see his penis. And since then, he has claimed that it is a body double, and it's not actually his. But a lot of people doubt that because he wasn't a big actor at the time. So they're like, why would they pay for a body double for a nobody? That's so funny. That's all. That's all it is. I couldn't find like the minute slash second at which to. It's the like frame by frame photos. <laughs> yeah, people. That's what people have had to do to find it. <laughs> I'm like, but why would you want to? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. So Sydney wakes up and Tatum is late. Of course, it's really dark, and this is when she gets the first phone call from Ghostface. Uh, we don't know that he's Ghostface. We he sh- we. That's player knowledge, or that's, yeah, player knowledge. <laughs> but she thinks it's Randy because he starts asking her about her favorite scary movie and all these kinds of things. She says she doesn't like scary movies. But uh, the girls, she says the girls are all predictable and stupid and they always run upstairs instead of going out the front door like in real life, which she is correct. She is fucking correct. <laughs> yeah, but then she turns around and does exactly that. Exactly, which is make- which makes it the best fucking satire horror movie ever. So she taunts Ghostface by uh, walking on her porch and ends up and picking her nose to see if she he can see her. But he ends up attacking her from inside of the house. And uh, guess what she does? She, like we said, she runs up the stairs and she goes to her room, which she, at least she has like a smart kind of locking style for her room because she puts her uh, her closet door against her the entrance door to her room, which blocks it fairly well and is, is smart. I never got a room like that. So as she uh, as she runs up to her room to lock him out, Ghostface disappears 
And all of a sudden, Billy turns up at her window out of nowhere again. This part is genius uh, because highly suspect. They, she immediately <laughs> thinks that it's Billy. She's like two. Oh yeah, she straight turns and runs out of the room. And Dewey, I'm sorry. This is when you get introduced to Deputy Dewey, but he gets arrested, and they, like, when you're watching it, you're like, oh shit, he's totally guilty, and then he's yeah. not, and you're. There's, they make it they, really difficult to figure out who Ghostface is in this film. They line it up perfectly to be like, oh, obviously it's Billy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, shit, it, it's not Billy. Then who who is this? Who could this be? Like, I don't understand. And then you're like, wait, it could be Billy. And then you're like, no, 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 wait, it can't be Billy. You, and then You oh, sit there and you question it because they make it so, like, obvious but not, but totally, like, Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. It is. It's Total tug of war with your brain. The reveal at the end is... It's so fucking good, it's dude. Good. It's good. <laughs> so the police show up and deputy. this is where you're introduced to Deputy Deputy Dewey Riley. That's so hard to say. It's easier he to is... say Deputy Dwight Riley. <laughs> <laughs> there. Uh, that is uh, Tatum's brother. And he's kind of a klutz and useless in certain films. And, uh, well, he's... He's just so perfect, but he's played by David Arquette. He tries uh, who, really hard, okay? <laughs> he does, and he's perfect. He really is just so perfect for Dewey, but no, he... Uh, I mean, as the police officer in the film, who can't do shit right, he tries really hard, but everything he does, he does is wrong. <laughs> yeah, he's he makes an effort. He Poor guy. Kind of um, like the cop in Black Christmas, who just can't do anything right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, he's he's in uh, Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore. So I mean, like, there's another connection of people working together on this uh, this 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 set. I love that movie, by the way. It's a good one. Uh, when he did have this part, he had a huge crush on Courtney on Courtney Cox, who was making herself known as like Monica in Friends, which I still don't watch to this day. And, and I tried. It's I don't know. But he and Courtney Cox end up getting married. And yeah. So after she gets married, she, I guess, the story goes that she pestered the people who do the titles so much to remind them to put Courtney Cox Arquette in the title sequence that as a joke for the net, the episode that she would first do that in, they changed every single cast member's name to have Arquette at the end. So it was like, <laughs> it was like, it was like Jennifer Aniston Arquette. <laughs> Courtney Cox Arquette. So every single person. Um, fun fact: uh, David Arquette was actually in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie in nineteen ninety-two. He's also in Eight Legged Freaks, which is like the funniest spider movie ever. And the spiders make the goofiest sounds, and they actually like scream. And like, <laughs> it's anyways. Um, back to scream. <laughs> uh, the two were married for fourteen years. They had one daughter named her Coco, and then they split. Go. But they work well together still. It was yeah. an amicable split. Which is good, at least. So would have made Scream 5 really awkward. It would have. It yeah. I mean, I'm so excited to see that. Okay. Uh so Caitlin's eyes just rolled into the back of her head when she said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to see that movie. Ghostface legit is tattooed on my forearm so I can look at him every day. Uh, but Dewey finds the Ghostface mask just ditched on the lawn and escorts Sydney to the police station. Uh, while uh, 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 Billy is in the back of the car, of the other car going to the police station as well. This is kind of when they start saying, like, the cellular, cellular phone. Cellular phone. That's so hard it's to really say awkward. now. 
cell phone but they uh they go to the cell phone list they need the cellular no, this because you have to say cellular because in the 1996 they were You're right it new. was all about cellular it and wasn't a cell phone it was exactly. cellular phone every time they reference it it's cellular <laughs> my favorite is how big they are <laughs> like and they were like why do you have a cell phone and, Bill and he's like, like everybody's got it and they're like yeah right and he's like okay uh but it was a lot of cellular phones. The cellular, cell, cellular. God damn it! Doesn't roll off the tongue. No, not at all. So they, uh, they try and find Sydney's dad, who's supposed to be staying at a hotel because he's out of town. Well, they can't find him. He isn't staying at the hotel where he said he was. So she goes and stays at Tatum's house while Billy gets booked into jail for the night. Uh, Tatum in her room has two twin beds. So. Go her for always having a second bed if she needs. <laughs> so Rose McGowan has said in interviews that she has, I don't know if she like legitimately recommended this or if she was just like hoping, but she was like, there's no reason that in a sequel, uh, Tatum's twin couldn't be the murderer because she's she just wants two... to come back to. <laughs> yeah. She was like, there's two twin beds. How else do you explain that? It could be an evil twin. It could be a good twin that just wants revenge. Like it could be anything yeah that would be so funny to just randomly bring her back and be like i'm her twin i'm radom or i don't know yeah something. i'm radon <laughs> radon <laughs> uh tatum says sweetie uh every once in a while in this movie which is it, it, it's like a throwback in our minds because she says it a lot in charmed to me that's like her her catchphrase she's like yeah oh, she sweetie and the way she says it sometimes cracks me up uh, but she yeah. makes me wonder if she ad-libbed a little bit because they i think Wes craven part of what makes him so great to work with is that he allows them freedom and so they get to adjust things to be whatever they feel for the character and they can create their own characters in a way so yeah so Sydney gets a call from ghostface at tatum's house because obviously he knows where she is now because her dad's still missing but she gets this call before she falls asleep, proving that Billy's innocent. And, uh, well, then she ends up running into Billy the next day at school because he Awkward. gets out of. <laughs> yeah, I love his comment. He's like that. I... He's like, understand that I'd rather that my girlfriend would rather think that I'm a or would rather think that I'm a murderer than touch me. And I'm like, that's kind of sad. It's Poor guy. so I love this confrontation they have because it is so high school. Like one hundred percent. Like in Riverdale, the high school drama to me isn't realistic. Oh, definitely but not. No in way. This movie, they just pinpointed what it is to be a teenager so well. It, yeah. I love it. Like all the comments they make, the way they act, their stupid it's, little it's arguments. So well done. It's perfect. As always, you know, Sydney ends up finishing her her tantrum by running away into the bathroom, <laughs> which uh, apparently. Ghostface is hiding in. Good job for knowing which bathroom that she'd randomly run into. I think. I feel like that's because like schools have so many bathrooms. It's just such a coincidence that he's in the exact right bathroom that she's going to. Do you think it's the actual? So we didn't mention you... it, but prior to this, there's a bunch of kids running down the hall dressed as Ghostface because everyone knows yeah, who it is. And there's teenagers. A, there's are a curfew, assholes. and yeah, there's a whole so thing. So she's in the bathroom and then somebody dressed as Ghostface runs out and it's I think it's clearly a male you can tell by the shoes but do you think it's actually him or do you think it or one of the, the a Ghostface or do you think it's a student dressed as that who was just hoping to spook some girls you know that's a good question 
I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> I personally think it was just someone. And that's why just they some just, dude. Yeah, happened to be in that bathroom. Um, I think it was just a miscellaneous kid being a douchebag in the girl's bathroom. But Well, she ends up running out of the bathroom and causing a whole lot of chaos. And the principal ends up closing the school for the day and cancels all classes. Which then leaves him to promptly get murdered in a school that is empty besides the janitor aka Wes Craven <laughs> this is the best cameo Wes Craven I feel has ever done and it it will always be my favorite but uh his character's name is Fred and he's uh, dressed and like... he's a janitor and he looks and has a sweater and a hat on just like Freddy Krueger <laughs> it's perfect i love it it wasn't subtle at all no (laughs) oh no 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 it was solid freddy krueger reference in a heartbeat because he was i forget what the principal was saying but he comes out he's yelling at thinking damn kids did something and fred's like what'd you call me he's like oh sorry not you fred (laughs) but uh yeah so this is where the principal gets killed still scary times in a school alone i Empty schools are scary, man. He was a weird target. Uh, but we'll come back he to He was that kind point. of, yeah, he was kind of out of, out of character, maybe, out yeah. of a character kill. I when don't know. When we re- do, the, like, the final reveal, we go through our graveyard, I'll give you my theory as to why he got targeted. I don't want to reveal it too early, so. Not okay. that people listening don't already know, but, you know, fun times. So, uh, there's this random part while they're talking that Tatum says something about the Richard Gere gerbil story. And I was like, what the hell? Like, obviously my brain went exactly to where it is, but I was like, I want to Google it. So the Google machine told me that apparently there was a big rumor in the 90s that said something like Richard Gere once got a gerbil stuck up his ass and then had to go to the yard to get it removed. And that's it. Like, that's the end of the story. I wonder if this is the same reference that they make in Scary Movie 4? But they are... I think it's Scary Movie 4, but they edit it and change it later on. Because in one of the scenes for, like, the Brokeback Mountain scene, he holds up a hamster. Oh. Well, I mean... <laughs> but it's now completely edited. So, and so gerbiling as a verb <laughs> is, gross. like, a common joke now. So, who knows? It might be. It's, Ew! So, I think this Richard Gere gerbil story is where like the term gerbiling probably it came from Gross. but i googled it more because i was like intrigued so uh, i must know more yes this article that i found was written in an online thing called mel and uh, this person did a lot of background <laughs> they talked to like sex professionals and all that stuff to figure out the history of this rumor and gerbiling and it was not an article i recommend reading if you enjoy not thinking about these things so uh this 2019 article cited an attorney that specialized in formicophilia which involves putting like rodents and critters and tiny creepy crawly things into your sexual crevices (laughs) no no this is like her whole job is to just try people for like animal abuse basically I can't say no enough to this, but no. It hurts my heart that it is so common that there is a whole profession dedicated just to that. <laughs> Those poor animals. Um, so she specifically gave an example, although she personally had never heard of anyone using a gerbil. 
Um, she specifically gave an example of a man that used to go to Thailand specifically Ew. to pay women to allow him to put cockroaches inside of them. Ew! <laughs> no. Oh, no. Mm -mm. I won't even touch a cockroach. I don't like being around them. I don't like being five feet from them. Like, I don't fuck. Mm -mm. I no don't way. Even, no fucking chance. I don't even like knowing that yeah! they are in my house. Like, if I see one, I have to hunt it down and kill it. Because if I know there's a living one in my house, it, I can't. I can't do it. No. So, anyways, <laughs> moving on. Uh, Gerbil, uh, so the reason they think that Jerp was selected specifically for this rumor is because I don't like this. <laughs> gerbils love tunneling. And they will dig and burrow oh! for hours on end. <laughs> so, uh, this is so gross. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, she said, "I can guarantee that a gerbil won't want to tunnel into anyone's anus because who does?" I can only imagine you <laughs> reading this and being like, "Tyler, listen to this," and he's like, "Oh fucking god, no." <laughs> he's in the army. He's heard worse. I'm sure, but still, this is fuck. Ew. Huh, I have the chills. I used to have hamsters. Like, ew. Uh, mm -mm. That's a big no, sir. <laughs> although no one can confirm that a gerbil specifically has been used for this purpose, although other animals have, that's the origin of gerbiling, I guess. Uh, John Harold Brunvand, the author of the Encyclopedia of Urban Legends, which sounds interesting and like a good read, says that the gerbiling story began in 1984 and started out as a story involving an unknown gay man and a mouse. Because uh, 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 yeah, mm. people are homophobic and say stupid stuff. Over the well, subsequent yeah. years, the unknown gay man became Richard Gere and the mouse became a gerbil. So that's where he thinks huh. that that story came from. Okay. It's like telephone, how the story changes. Yeah. And Gere was originally cast in a movie called The Lord of Flatbush. But he and Stallone didn't get along so Stallone ha had gear fired and so there's this rumor that in the years since gear and Stallone's grudge um, had kind of expanded <laughs> and that Stallone had actually started that rumor about Richard gear but he said um, like gear is actually responsible for Stallone being like involved in it um, so that's like one origin story. Uh, another origin story is that a fax got sent out after Gears Pretty Women and supposedly an anonymous person forged a complaint about from the ASPCA scolding Gear for his mistreatment of a gerbil and it was meant to be like a joke fax and because I guess that's what they did back then to entertain themselves in the office uh, and it got sent to way more people than it was supposed to, and that's how that one got started. So there's a few origin stories. All of them are awful, and I don't know why you would put that at all, but yes, that's it. That's the uh -huh. Richard Gere and the gerbil story. Hmm. Gross. Uh, uh, I didn't, uh, I feel like I didn't need to know that, but now I know that. <laughs> it's, in, it's in your ear holes and your brain forever. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. So, uh, while all this is going on, there is a curfew set, and uh, all of the schools can't, or all of classes are canceled. So the kids are like, "Let's have a party at Stu's house." Because what else do you fucking do when school's out and if there's a murder or a rampage out loose? 
<laughs> you combine all kids and put them in one house together so it's easy access. <laughs> I mean, safety and numbers, so... Or lots of death and numbers. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, so T Tatum also makes a comment about not wanting to be in a Wes Carpenter flick, which is obviously a mashup between, you know, Wes Craven and John Carpenter's names. So, go figure there. There's a song. She, I was going to say as she's in one, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a, a song that plays in the background during this, like, sequence of events. And it says, you'll see him in your nightmares, you'll see him in your dreams. And then it keeps going. And I for sure thought that that was like a Nightmare on Elm Street song, but it turns out it was not. Uh, it is actually a song called Red Right Hand by an Australian rock band Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, which was first hey. released in 1994. <laughs> it has become like a really big song. It's featured in all of the Screams. I'm sorry, it's featured in Scream 1 through 4. I don't know about 5. Uh, and it, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll be, they at least better try and make a tribute back to it. Keep the small things in there, small details. <laughs> and it's also been used as the title song for like a major TV series called Peaky Blinders. I wanted to start watching that. But I'm pretty sure they picked it because of it. It was kind of like a throwback to Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I was I was like surprised that it wasn't for that film specifically. Dewey, you know, the sheriff ends up dropping the deputy. girls off at this party. Yeah, deputy. Yeah, sorry, deputy Dewey drops the girls off at this party. Tatum and and Sydney, you know, when there's a curfew going on, but I guess they're all in a house together. <laughs> uh, and just out of nowhere, uh, Gail is hiding with a camera, and she wants to get in the house. And so she runs into Dewey and she's like, let me go with you. And he escorts her in with the girls, tries to be cool about underage drinking and makes one of those dumb adult jokes. I was like, aren't you underage? I'm just kidding. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, everybody's excited that Gail's there. She hides the camera so she can keep an eye on everything and, you know, record everything. She uh, she says that they've become the town that dreaded sundown, and Dewey says something like the killer about the killer in the Texas movies, and uh, the 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 town that dreaded sundown was a wonderful horror movie, and so it's just more references to all the great horror films from before. Um, so I'll be honest. So Sydney says that to Dewey earlier in the film. Um, I thought they were talking about. I thought that was like a reference to the Texas Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that it was its own film. So I Googled it because I was like, I, I wanted to confirm that what I thought oh. was right. I was yeah. wrong, obviously, because like you said, it's a <laughs> it is a movie. It's a horror film that came out in 1976, but it is loosely based on the 1946 Texarkana Moonlight Murders, which are yeah. crimes attributed to a serial killer known as the Phantom Killer. So again, they're referencing a movie that is like directly related to their storyline, which I thought was or true crime. Cool. Yeah. Dewey also finds out that the phone calls are coming from Sydney's dad's cellular phone. Cellular. <laughs> <laughs> and the two start walking down, down the road. The two meaning Dewey and Gail Weathers. And it turns out that they there has been a sighting of uh, like Sydney's car. dad's car. Yeah. No, a car. You're right. It was just like yeah. a random abandoned car. It was yeah, they said it was an abandoned car, and when they get up to the car, that's when Dewey's like, oh my god, it's Sydney's dad's car. Yes. Uh -huh. So Randy's goal 
uh, is to watch the scary movie and at at this party and he starts talking about the algorithm of horror flicks and everything that goes into like the rules of surviving a horror movie which he has so number one in horror movies you can't have sex you are not allowed to have sex sex meanwhile sydney and billy are upstairs having sex in tatum's parents bedroom or uh, Stu's parents bedroom <laughs> so number one down no drinking or drugs uh, everyone at the party is drinking and tatum is literally getting sent to the, the garage to get more beer so uh, rule number two broken rule number three never say i'll be back uh, as as Stu sarcastically says that leaving into the kitchen uh, the exact same way that I did with the arm motions which are wavy in front of him did you notice that Tatum <laughs> said that too because I know she's like what am I a beer wench and then she stands up does she say like I'll be right back I, I think so I think I really think she does I really think she does but I can't that's how I feel too I'm like I can't tell I if can't... I'm putting that in her mouth <laughs> hang on I can tell you in just a second uh, I literally have the movie up right now <laughs> There was a part that we left out in our notes that I realized today was kind of important. Um, Which part? So, right after Billy gets released and the school gets shut down, Randy's at work. He works at a movie store. And oh, Stu yeah, is talking yeah, totally to skipped this part. Yes, and Randy is talking about, like, the algorithm of scary movies. And he's like, it's clearly Billy. And Stu's like, dude, he's innocent. They proved it. He's like, no, no, you don't get it. He's got the motive. He's got... Like, he is the one that makes the most sense if you follow the story. And Stu keeps being like, no, I think it's definitely her dad. It doesn't make sense. But Yeah. Um, so that part is pretty cool. And they're watching, like, some Frankenstein movie, like a black and white Frankenstein movie in the background. And all the kids in town are buying or renting scary movies because the horror that is their lives is not enough. <laughs> yeah. One of the girls comes in and she's like, what's that movie that has E.T.'s mom in it? And he's like, oh, the howling horror straight ahead. <laughs> and uh, the howling is a 1981 horror film, uh, which is also based on a novel. But it is a film that follows a television newswoman who is sent to some place. And then there's a serial killer and werewolves. But yep. again, it's mirroring this film in a way. Or this film mm -hmm. is referencing that one. So Scream is a less obvious version of Scary Movie. Just yes. saying that. <laughs> yeah, basically. Within within this whole, like, rant, uh, Randy mentions, mentions a shitload of movies going through everything from the original Prom Night in 1980, which also has the original Scream Queen of um, Jamie Lee Curtis. God damn it! I was like, what's her name? I wanted, to, I wanted to say Julia Roberts for a second. I was like, I know that's not right. It's another uh, one featuring... Classmates, uh, high school has to do with prom. Killer, so. Yep, stalker. It's great. He also mentions the fog, which is 1980 by John Carpenter. So another Carpenter film. Terror Train, Evil Dead, Psycho, which is Norman Bates. Leatherface, which is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Carrie, Evil Dead. I spit on your grave. Uh, um, real quick. So. I started listing the things he referenced, and then I was like, shit, I might as well just reference all the things they've referenced throughout this film that we didn't catch already. So not all of these are said specifically in this yeah, speech. but they are referenced. Um, for example, uh, he mentions, Stu, Stu keeps going like, as if, and he's like, okay, Alicia. And I was like, what the hell yeah. is, like, what is that? Um, and he was referencing, 
I thought her name was Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> Did too. Uh, from Clueless, because her main line is like F F. So, but yeah, you can finish the list. I just wanted to clarify that. Uh, these no, are it's totally good. The film. Yeah. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. Frank. Uh, Silence of the Lamb. Frankenstein movies. Sharon Stone from Basic Instinct. Trading Places. They're all mentioned. Uh, and of course, they end up at the house watching John Carpenter's Halloween, and he's going through the detail about about Jamie Lee Curtis, and Stu only wants to see her tits, and he's like, that doesn't happen until this movie and this time, yeah. way later on. It's not until she's a somebody. <laughs> like, damn, all right. So, meanwhile, Tatum goes to the garage to get more alcohol. She does not say she'll be back. She literally just, like, walks off. She just walks off into the garage while uh, Dewey and Weather, Gail Weathers, show up. Dewey Weather. Oh my gosh, it makes so much Dewey sense. Dewey Weather, there you go. <laughs> her her death is probably my favorite <laughs> in these movies. I didn't bother but, describing it because I was like, Katie's going to explain this I got better this. than I could. Do, do you want me to describe it here? Am I good to do that here? Yeah, like... go ahead and oh, okay, describe cool. it. And then I'll talk about what I found out about it afterwards. So Tatum goes into the uh, into the garage to get some beer for the party. Walks over to the fridge to get all of those 40s. And God, I don't know why they're just 40s, but it's just, just a fridge full of 40s. Because uh, that's what kids like back in the day. The cl- door closes behind her, ending up. So she's locked in the garage, and all of a sudden the light goes out because, of course, the garage lights are on timers and they turn off after you've opened the garage for so long, right? And uh, so she tries to get inside, but nobody's answering the door because there's a party going on and there's famous people inside and nobody gives a fuck about Tatum. And, and so she makes an effort to go out of the garage and it, like, she opens the garage. And as she walks over to it, it just starts closing again. Like, it's like one of those, like, time garage things. But she turns around and boom! It's Ghostface closing the garage door on her. Trapping her in the garage with him. Dun-dun-dun. She tries to fight herself. Oh. I was just going to say, this Ghostface has, like, a sparkly robe on. Did you notice that? Yeah. It's, and, like, I don't. I I, it, I think that's so weird because it's not sparkly in like any of the other scenes, I but know. this one it's particularly like glittery. I didn't get it either, and, and you're like, homeboy, did you walk through some glitter or something? After I watched this part, I was like, has it been doing that this whole time? And so part of me rewatching it was looking for that, including this upcoming like chase scene, and I was like, yeah, it's literally the only time that that has a glittery outfit on. What is happening? Yeah, yeah. So she thinks it's somebody playing a prank on her at first and dressing up as Ghostface, and he ends up pulling a knife, cutting her arm, and to prove that he's, you know, the real killer. So she struggles trying to get out of the garage any way she can, and so her thought is, I'm gonna go through the cat door. It was a even though there's cat like, door, to be fair. I mean, yeah, it is, but there's also a window in the garage that she could have just shattered and, like, crawled out of a lot easier. Cause that there's, would like, take... A- but it's, like, open, and there's, like, a, a thing, like, a, a bookcase right next to it that she could climb up and out of the window with. It So, it wouldn't have taken any more, like, it wouldn't have been any better to go through there. Because she would have had to shatter the glass, clear the window, climb the bookcase. Like, it would have taken more time than just going through there. The only reason she didn't make it through is because he opens the garage. So. Yeah, the garage is really slow. She does She does fight off really well. I love that she uses the freezer and, like, opens the freezer and smacks Ghostface in the face. And, like, it's a wonderful moment of uh, reality 
killers getting hurt. <laughs> but she runs over to the garage trying to open it up again, and then he obviously closes it by the time that she can get to the garage, so she tries to crawl through the cat door. Garage continues going up, and I don't know if a garage would actually be able to bear, like, a human, like, the, the weight of an actual human. But yeah, I've thought of that, too. I think it would break it. Yeah, I, I don't think a garage motor is strong enough to be able to bear the weight of an actual human. Because normally when you see those kinds of, like, videos of, like, kids hanging on the garage, the garage breaks. Yeah, yeah. Like, that chain breaks. So, a little uh un- unrealistic, but at the same time, still pretty entertaining. Because she gets crushed by the roof of the garage uh, and, like, being stuck inside of the, the cat door. <laughs> it's entertaining it's it is a good way it's a good ending or a good death. uh i really i really enjoyed the fact that like rose didn't use a stunt double for this because she said it didn't look like her body type and so she did all the stunts of her death by her, herself which is kind of cool her biggest thing it's not that she's like shallow or anything like that her biggest thing was she was like i am in a skirt my legs and my hips are very visible and if you can't see my face during this scene, it's going to take away from it. So she has, like, a really good idea of, like, what makes things great. And so, like, for people like us who are like, that's clearly not her ass. She did right. a good job. She even comments, though. She's like, yeah, nobody um, took the time to comment on the tit thing that was happening. So that the was... Fact- oh, don't worry. <laughs> when you go back and edit, you'll hear my, uh, my little uh, bit about her perky little tits standing out. Because, I mean, like... It's it's fucking nipple nation over there. She opens up the garage door and that's all you see. <laughs> yeah, she was like, no one told me about that. Um, I found out about it at the screening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she did. I mean, a- like, she did I gotta job. admit, she got some nice boobs at least. <laughs> yeah, mine wouldn't look like that. No. Um, uh, so, real quick, the form of Ghostface is played by stuntman Dane Farwell. The glittery form. This is when you the see him glittery. <laughs> Uh, he's he except for like the few times where you see somebody else in the outfit um or that one time with Wes Craven randomly at the beginning he plays him in one two four and I think five don't quote me on that but Hmm. the only one he wasn't involved in again was three I think and he has been in a shit ton of movies like good movies of course like Marvel yeah uh things like that. He's in Child's Play 2. He is a stunt double in Spaceballs. He's in Predator 2, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Forrest Gump, Vampire in Brooklyn, which Wes Craven worked on with him, I guess. Um, He's in Angel, Galaxy Quest, and like just a shit ton of movies. <laughs> we we used to watch Galaxy Quest every time we went camping together. I still watch that. So often. It's so good. I watch it all the time. So we get to the part where, or we get to the ending, the ending of the party. Uh, everybody's leaving. Sydney has just deflowered herself. And she... everyone's leaving because they found the body of the principal. And everyone's like, yeah, what do we see? He's, uh, they found the, pr- yeah, the, the, the principal was hanging from the, the height, the, the football post. The goal post. And so, yeah, so they all wanted to go see it. So they all go driving down, nearly hit Dewey in the, with their cars because they're all drunk. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so everybody's leaving. Sydney is is cleaning herself up after uh enjoying her time with billy and she gets suspicious of billy again all of a sudden kind of like out of nowhere and she's like about those phone calls like while you were in prison you know who did you call (laughs) 
feel like she just randomly gets suspicious out of nowhere. It is like a really random idea to be like. Yeah, and he's sexy. like, I called my dad. And she's like, no, the sheriff called your dad. And he's hey, like, yeah, well, he didn't answer for me. <laughs> let's make this moment really romantic and talk about that time I got yeah. you booked for murder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but of course, right in the nick of time, Ghostface runs in, stabs Billy, allowing Sydney to escape by jumping over the bed. I, I do love the motions and the movements of Ghostface because they're so randomly thrown together and like lash it out, like lashed out rather than like c- controlled in a way. <laughs> and Which I think is, it's great. Because it's. Never mind. Anyways, yeah, I, I know what you're going with. Uh, but again, this deters the idea that Billy is Ghostface. So obviously, Billy can't be Ghostface. He was just stabbed by Ghostface. Duh. Exactly. Um, so. At this point, we're convinced Billy is not Ghostface anymore. Plus, he can't, he can't be Ghostface. Tatum got murdered while they were doing the dirty. Yeah, exactly. Who is so it? Sydney... Oh, no. So Sydney goes running for help, ends up at the uh, news van where Kenny the cameraman is killed. And she crawls through this van in a very awkward way and gets away. But I don't know. She crawls through this really weird hole in the van. And I don't understand where it like like why that wall was there basically <laughs> i just because she goes in from the side and then crawls out the back or no she crawls out the front anyways it's really weird vans are uh questionable vehicles and, yeah and it's and it's a news van so there's a there's a, also a chase scene between gail and dewey when they return to the like house after their their little walk down to find that random car which ends up being Sydney's dad's car uh and this is where i think uh Dewey gets like knocked out or something he gets stabbed in the back yeah he gets stabbed and kind of just passes out while Gail runs she gets I... in the van real quick huh Dewey walking through the house is my favorite because that would be like 100% me making sound effects he like turns a corner he's like oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah um yeah makes you feel better when you when you can make sounds it's like a cronk when he makes his own theme song yeah exactly <laughs> so Gail gets in the van trying to drive away and there's like all this red stuff on the the windscreen and no shit obviously it's blood and she gets like all scared out of nowhere after she turns on the windshield wipers like obviously it's blood i do love that she yells at the body and she's like i'm sorry kenny but get the fuck off the van and then she uh, immediately crashes yeah totally really quick crashes into a, a like a gutter kind of trench thing and oh. then it goes back to the house all of the adults in this film are just, like, 100% useless. Yeah. So, this is kind of where you get close to the grand reveal of Ghostface. Um, so you, you get a flashback to the front of the house where Sydney is being uh, uh, approached by both Billy and Randy. Or, not Billy and Randy. Uh, Stu and Randy. And they're basically blaming each other. They're like, he's the killer. No, he's the killer. <laughs> so, Sydney just says, fuck you both. Closes the door and locks them out. And all of a sudden... Billy's behind her, falling, tumbling, tumbling down the stairs. Her poor level, lover. Which is so dramatic. Like, why did he I have to <laughs> fall down the stairs? So he tumbles down the stairs, and he's like, "Give me the gun, Sydney," because there's a gun that she grabs, and or she grabs Dewey's gun, which is a smart, smart form, at least. 
there's props to her for that one. Uh, so she gives Billy the gun. Lo and behold, da 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 da, Billy's the murderer. Well, one of them. <laughs> She's like, but you were stabbed. And he's like, corn syrup, baby. And then licks it off his finger in a very seductive way. And it's hot. She's sitting there questioning why all of this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Well, then all of a sudden, Stu comes around the corner with the sound box of Ghostface's voice. Turns out it is both Billy and Stu who have been uh, playing Ghostface together, being able to trick those from thinking it's Billy to not thinking it's Billy and being able to free him and get his innocence. Uh, also turns out Billy killed Sydney's mother a year prior because she was having an affair with his dad, which caused their parents to split up, like he mentions earlier, and his mom leaves for good. So he blames her and kills her mom. <laughs> and then enjoyed it so much, he was like, I want to kill more people. Yeah, man. So he decided to hatch this grand plan in a, on the year anniversary of the murder of Sydney's mom and frame Sydney's dad, which they had kidnapped and hid at Stu's house for this whole time. Also, where the hell are Stu's parents? <laughs> yeah, apparently they're rich and just never at home. But for, uh, yeah. So they were going to frame Sydney's dad for all of the murders that happened and emerge as the injured final survivors so they can get all the fame and and be these wonderful people that got to survive this tragic incident. Do you think they thought that they would be like basically serial killers and then just like survive and never kill anybody again? Like they just didn't. Obviously, like for Billy, it's an impulse. Like he, yeah, he's got issues. Stu was just fucking like peer pressured into this shit, and he even says that he's like peer pressure. <laughs> I'm too. What does he call himself? I'm too impressionable or something. Yeah, it's so funny. He's like, did you really call the cops? My mom's going to be so mad. <laughs> so these two dingbats uh, reveal their whole grand plan to Sydney in the way that Bill and Stu, my cat is rubbing the microphone, I'm sorry. And Okay, she's cute. <laughs> uh, before they even like complete their plan, because their plan is to kill Sydney, kill her dad, and make it look like he... Killed everyone. Killed everybody. And then yeah. shot himself. Before they even do the hardest parts, which are the cleanup, the murders, and the framing, they decide that's a great time to stab each other uh, so that they can look like the survivors. Yeah. And so they, which... they get really competitive <laughs> stabbing each other. Because they're stupid. <laughs> boys, man. And Fucking then, teenage boys. Everything from that moment on just goes to shit. Because Stu oh, yeah. is like, I hurt. I can't think straight. I don't know what's happening anymore. I'm getting woozy, man. <laughs> I'm getting woozy, man. Uh, most uh, of Matthew Lillard's lines in this scene were majority of improv like impro uh, improvised by him. And they were so perfect. <laughs> I like the part where he's like, and then we're going to shoot you. Like, that's the sound that makes. <laughs> But yeah, it's, they just Oh man. They went from like very planned to very chaotic really quick because they're yeah. impulsive teenagers and that's yeah. how stupid brains work. While they're uh doing all of that, Gable Gable Gale overhears the whole thing and causes a distraction allowing Sydney to hide, which she decides to hide in the closet and takes the time to put on the 
I think it's the glittery ghost face costume. I don't think it's glittery. Is it, it not the glittery one? It might not be. I it thought it might, might be. Not. It, I mean, it could be. I don't know. But she puts on a ghost face costume. <laughs> She's like, I'm gonna pop out and scare them. But she calls, she calls like the house phone from the ghost face telephone to be like, guess what? I called the cops. My favorite <laughs> when she's calling Stu, who's like about to pass out, he's like, should we just let the machine get it? <laughs> and yeah, and Billy like rushes and like picks it up really fast. And he's like, where are you, bitch? Uh, he leaves. <laughs> My favorite is like he leaves the phone wrapped around um, Stu. And so Stu, like, grabs it and puts it on his, like, ear. He's like, did you really call the cops? And she's like, you bet your sorry ass I did. He's like, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. And I, that's so funny. His line, like, every single line he says is just gold at this part. They're so perfect. Uh, so she ends up killing, uh, killing Billy while Randy is still alive. Stu gets the TV dropped on his face. See, he does die. No, oh, it doesn't say that he's dead, okay? Just because you get electrocuted doesn't mean you're dead. I mean, that's true. He could still come back. But that's a, it was like a box TV dropped on his head. I mean, so come on. People have been shot in the head and survived. Listen. That's fair. Anything is possible. So um, there is there is a chance that Stu might come back as a killer. Dun, dun, dun. Secretly, we just discovered that Scream 5 is <laughs> Stu the killer. <laughs> no, we would know by now if that was the case. Uh, I still say he's dead. But nevertheless, Billy's dead. Stu is dead. And uh, right before they all live a happy and uh, everly, happily ever after life, Billy tries to do that. Well, the killer always comes back for one more scare after he gets killed. And then he gets shot again and actually killed. <laughs> the women prevail because they're badasses. Cindy and Randy's still alive and so is Dewey. I think they're the only four that made it. And right? Randy is like, thank God I'm a virgin. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, that probably saved his ass, but um, he had a, that is Scream. He had a crush on Sydney, and yeah, this is, yeah, the whole movie. He was like the most innocent one, and he would have been so cute with her. But anyway. my favorite was like when Stu was like, "Oh, what you think he, she's saving yourself for you?" And he's like, "I don't know, maybe." His, and she his, has, like, the hot bad boy boyfriend. <laughs> his laugh is hilarious. He's like... Wah. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Everything yeah. about his part is pure gold. Matthew Lillard is just... He is pure gold. That man himself is pure gold. He is the perfect shaggy. He is a beautiful man. A wonderful actor. I love Matthew Lillard. I'll always love that man. This film was shot in various California locations... The houses, except for Stu's, are in Santa Rosa next to, like, a bunch of gorgeous vineyards. And they're all, like, very Victorian. Yeah. The town center is Healdsburg, California. The Woodsboro High School was actually the Sonoma Community Center. And in the credits huh. of this film, it says, No thanks whatsoever to the Santa Rosa City School District Governing Board. Because they tried to get an actual high school. But the school district was like, this film is too violent. We can't have this in the halls and we don't want to be a part of it. And so they refused oh. to let them use that. So they had to use the community center instead. Hmm. All right. I like that they were like very cheeky about it. Uh, the police station is now Oakville Grocery Store. Hmm. And Stu's house, which is like the iconic scream house now. Yeah. Uh, was in Tomales, California. 
it has been rebuilt on sets for the movies three and five. <gasps> and last year, in <gasps> promotion of this movie, the the Scream Five, sorry, in October there was like a weekend, I think, where the yeah. owners oh. call sorry. the buck down and let me talk. The Sorry. owners of this house listed it in Airbnb, and you could rent and stay it. And it said the host was Sheriff Dewey, and you can see pictures of the whole house. Like they put pictures of every single room in there. We uh we talked about this on the radio because they're like, Katie, you should do this. And I looked at it, and it was so much money. And I was like, I so wish. There's a stained glass window in the pictures mm -hmm. that is now like. In the picture, it's Scream, it's, or it's Ghostface, but in the movie, it's just a traditional stained glass window. I don't know if it's actually the Scream. If I remember correctly, they had it changed. They got, a, they got like a custom piece done. I was going to say, I don't know it. if they just photoshopped that. <laughs> but yeah, so go, yeah. go look it up if you uh, want to. You can't book it anymore. They literally did it just for one weekend. So. Oh my gosh. Okay, so going into uh, Scream 5 completely un knowing of anything the fact that Stu's house is being rebuilt for it oh, I don't know what to say I'm excited that makes me even more excited because unfortunately they're in, going back to the group the roots in trying to get information for this movie I accidentally because they're titled the fucking same stumbled yeah. across articles for the original one so I know a little bit which I'm really disappointed about what I've read to be honest but I'm still excited for the movie so let's go through the graveyard, shall we? So it's actually not as big as I would. I I, I kind of thought back in the day. I as we go through this graveyard, can we talk about, uh, like reason how to figure out which one? Why killed? they were killed? No, not why, but like which oh. one was responsible? For oh, okay, I see what you mean. I I which one? Stu or Billy? Yeah, or if not okay, both. But okay, because I was trying to so, do that. Yeah. So number one. Maureen Prescott was obviously killed by Billy brutally in the town square after being raped because he wanted revenge. I'm sorry. I put town square. It was not the town square. Um, it Well, yeah, it was in her, ha her house. Yeah, it was at her house because she yeah. saw him leave. Yeah, something. yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. That was my bad. But that was Billy for sure. We know that one. He confessed to that one. Yes. Stephen Orth, who was gutted by Ghostface. That is Casey's boyfriend at the beginning. Yeah. I think that they did this. I think that they did both of these kills together. That would I think they sense. were both there to make it easier for them to work around and do what they did. That way, while her attention was on the front or the back, they could sneak yeah. into the front. And yeah. And if yeah. she tried to run, they could grab her. So, and, and that way there was one at the front of the house, one at the back of the house. So no matter what, she was kind of fucked. They both had alibis with their girlfriends. Yep. So also, just because we mentioned that really quick, um, I think one of the only reasons Billy went to her window was to figure out when her dad was leaving or not, because I think he kidnapped her right then, or kidnapped him right. Huh. He, okay. He opens her door and is like, "Hey, I'm leaving right now," and she's like, "Okay, love you, bye." And then Billy like leaves shortly after that. So I think they kidnapped him then. In the hey, car. okay, I see. That makes sense. I get. I pick up what you're putting down. So, do you think Stu? Do you think Stu or Billy is the one that killed Stephen? 
I think Billy did it. Stu doesn't seem... I think Stu was the one that was chasing after her because he had... I feel like it was a little bit taller, but he had to have long legs to catch up to her and be able to wrap a lanky-ass arm around her and stab her properly. But also, he's the one who selected Casey as their first one, so I think he would have wanted it's his to ex. Yes. target her. Okay. Okay. So Stu kills Steve. Billy... Or... Uh, Billy kills Steve. Stu kills Casey. Okay. Yes. Principal Arthur had to be Billy because Stu was at the party. Or I guess they were setting up the party. Well, so, so okay. Principal Arthur uh, Himbury, he was stabbed to death by Ghostface. But I think it's going to, I think it has to be Billy because Stu has to set up the party at his house. I think it's Billy too, but only because... One, because I think Stu, like you said, had too many people looking at him and was doing stuff. But Yeah. So the only thing that I can think of as to why the principal was targeted at all is because in he makes this point of being like, I love my students. I want them to be safe. But then behind doors, he's like, I fucking hate every single one of you. You are shitbags. I hate yeah. your generation. You're all trash. So I think Billy got probably got in trouble with the principal at some point. He, oh, he was he was the bad boy. I'm sure he got in trouble plenty of and times. And so he targeted him because he was just like, I fucking hate you. So. That makes sense. Okay. So Tatum, who is crushed by the garage door uh, in the cat in the cat door thing. Stu's in the house. It's got to be Billy. Because Billy hadn't shown up to the party yet. No, isn't Billy upstairs, though? And Stu is the one who's like, I'm going into the kitchen and then walks off. Shit, you're right. You're right. Billy's upstairs having having a time of his life with uh, Virgin Cindy. That makes sense because Stu goes, I'll be back. Like, that's and the then... only thing I could think of. Like, really, in the movie. No, that actually would make sense, though. That does. Because, like. And then he actually comes back with beers from the. Yeah. 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 Boom. So number six to die is Kenny Jonas, the uh, cameraman, uh, Gail's cameraman. He His throat is slit. And then he's placed on top of the van. I think it's got to be Stu. He looks taller. Well, because Billy had just been stabbed. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's chasing her. He's chasing Cindy out of the house. So, yeah, that would make sense. But too. I do think Billy came out immediately after and helped him put the cameraman on top of the Oh, yeah. Van. Because they were they were stalking her in the sheriff car, too, because they get in through the trunk and stuff like that. And then I, I guess Billy helped her and then just like ran back upstairs i don't know it's really weird to think about uh so after that uh number seven stew aka ghostface number one who is stabbed by billy but also electrocuted uh with a tv dropped on his face by sydney <laughs> i still think he's dead but it could be funny if he, they brought him back but i still think he's dead and then the final to die is Billy Loomis, a.k.a. Ghostface number two, who is shot in the head by... I think it's Gail. No, I think Gail... Is Sydney. it Sydney? Yeah. Gail shoots him first. Sydney. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, after. you're right. You're right. And then she says, not in my movie. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I got you. And and Sid, Sydney does that one. <laughs> we miss this part, but for any... There's, like, this big dramatic part where Gail, after she ever hears them, she's got the gun and she's like, oh, I'm going to end you. But she doesn't know how to turn right. the safety off. Yeah, she's got the safety on. Is on the side of your thumb, just so everyone knows. It's it's on the side where your thumb is if you're right-handed. That's where the safety is. 
So yeah, I wouldn't know either. And put your finger on the trigger. Makes it smooth. One smooth motion. There you go. So that's the uh, graveyard. That's everybody that dies in Scream. And I also love that they uh, they make their own franchise within the in the Scream franchise with Stab. I so I immediately after watching that movie, I was like, I have to watch the second one now. Um, which I just want I want Stab movies to come out. Like I want to know what those are like. And they're so good. Like I love it too. Uh, my so my favorite one is the first one. And then my second favorite is actually the fourth movie. I really liked that one. I fucking loved the fourth movie. And they do like the stabs theories and there's like 13 yeah. of them or some shit. But um, yeah, I love that they did a movie within a movie. And then I love that okay. Scary Movie took this movie and made it a more even, even yeah, even goofier. They- and they gave Ghostface a little bit more character because they were like, because it's a spoofy movie, they change the mask shape and so they they give more expression to Ghostface in the scary movie like film and i think it's so funny and we'll do scary movies eventually because they are hilarious and i love them but, um... no, one through four are pretty good one and two are the absolute best and that's because the wayne brothers do those the marlon wayne the marlon wayne brothers those those are the two that they do i refuse to watch anything after three I think they all go to poop after that. But anyways, we're not talking about Number that. four has good bits, but um, it's still not on key with number but, one or two. Yeah, one and two are prime. But yes, yeah. um, I think they did an amazing job revamping this, taking a satire and making it like an actual comedy. Even more of a, yeah. Yeah, a ridiculous comedy. Yeah. <laughs> but still uh, like keeping true to what it was. I don't know. So it's if good. you have, yeah, if you haven't watched Scary Movie, go watch it. Totally worth it. Incredibly funny. Yeah, this is our movie recommendations for this Please, film. please go watch Scary Movie if you haven't, because it is such an iconic movie for, like, us early 2000s kids. Because I'm pretty sure Scary Movie came out in 2000. It was 1999 or 2000, because I think I was five years old when I Ugh. first saw it. <laughs> 2000 is when Scream 3... No, Scream 2 came out in 97. Scream 3 came out in 2000. Scream 4 came out, like, 2000. 10 or 11 or something like that yeah it came out in 2000 scary movie came out in 2000 but uh movie recommendations scary movie the rest of the screams maybe skip Mm -hmm. three or watch it just to know the difference yeah Um, uh, all the movies that this that this scary movie references oh yeah are like the cream of the crop for scary movies so they're the iconic horror movies that almost everybody should know of should have watched and, and I haven't watched most of them, but I know of them enough. Hmm. Like Norman Norman Bates, we all know that guy. Psycho. Psycho. Yep. Uh, I had never heard of The Howling or you've never. Oh, okay. That Texas movie. Oh, the the town that dreaded sundown. Yeah, but I want to watch them now. So, but yeah, it's a great movie. They did a wonderful job. Uh, another recommendation. Um, if you're into the true crime part of that, the Danny Rowling, uh, there is mm-hmm. a TV feature thing that happened, excuse me, I have the hiccups, called Scream, the True Story, where a paranormal investigator named Steve Shippey and a psychic medium named Cindy Kaza, they group together because apparently what happened is that while Danny Rowling was in prison, he became obsessed with the idea that he was possessed by a demon called Gemini, 
kind of like the latest conjuring idea Uh, and so i was really intrigued by that so i googled um (laughs) google's like your best friend so his zodiac sign is a gemini and that zodiac sign specifically has been labeled as kind of like the serial linked to a lot of serial killers (laughs) i so i googled it because i was like what is there a demon named gemini there's not there's just like a dark zodiac gemini pisces (laughs) but so according to this specific article that i read about zodiac signs it says gemini's often think they are better than you there's a shit ton of actors like really big actors and actresses by the way Uh, nicole kidman natalie portman like a shit ton Hmm. uh angelina jolie uh anyways but they often think they're better than you. A Gemini is the kind of person who inspires cultish cultish devotion. I read that and Googled the founder of... I keep hitting my microphone because I'm excited. The founder of that Children of God cult was a Gemini. <laughs> of course. Uh, it says, if a Gemini were an animal, it would be a cat. Because like a cat, a Gemini is always beautifully bored. A Gemini would be happy lying around all day, licking itself, leaving the house only to kill something just for fun. Hmm. Okay. Um, and although I don't think this describes all Geminis, obviously, uh, I just thought that was funny. But yeah, so this guy thought he was possessed. So they took these paranormal investigators and had them do a documentary about it. It's like a specific episode of a TV series. And they also went to Rawlings childhood home in Shreveport, Louisiana, because the people who have been living there were experiencing like paranormal haunting signs. Um, They say that there was like an aggressive poltergeist actively terrorizing homeowners. And in an interview with TV Insider, they asked, was there anything about this process that surprised you to Steve, who was the paranormal investigator? And he Mm -hmm. said, many things the darkness the power the manipulation of what we encountered its ability to affect us personally and affect my devices the evil force seemed to follow us during the entire journey even to the point where members of our film crew started having several night terrors about danny knocks at their hotel door and other strange occurrences so i just thought that was like a really twist ending to that whole gruesome story (laughs) yeah for real um and i don't know like i've heard a podcast episode about him and i don't remember that being a part of it so that was like a new tidbit and then interesting so earlier i had mentioned that the gainesville guy was not the true crime murder that i had been <laughs> teasing about um mm-hmm. that was a happy co- uh unhappy coincidence i should say <laughs> a happy coincidence so we're gonna end this episode with like the true crime that i was talking about it's i'm gonna give a very brief undetailed version as well again there's podcasts that cover this because it's kind of a big deal so go listen if you're interested but this is the true crime murder of 16 year old cassie joe stoddard who was murdered in 2006 by two of her classmates and friends that claimed they were inspired by scream yeah i don't think they're much of friends if they want to kill you yeah just wait okay so okay (laughs) um these two brian draper and tori Adam Chick might be. No, no, no. They are both 16 and they attended Pocatello High School with Cassie Joe. These two spent a lot of time planning this murder, much like Stu and Billy. They are very analogous to Stu and Billy. Uh, mm. 
they had videotape of them planning and being just fucking stupid. So they were filming themselves planning this murder. They would like say stupid shit trying to be like really deep and profound, but it was just a bunch of high school bullshit. Right. Um and in 2017 the transcripts of these videos became available online. So I Google machined it. Um I just pulled tiny snippets just to give you an idea of these numerons. So on September 21st, to, oh, I'm sorry, she was murdered the 22nd into the 23rd of September. So on okay. September 21st, like two day a day prior, at 8.05 p.m., the two are sitting in Adam, I think it's Adam Chick's car. I'm just going to call him Tori, okay? They were sitting in Tori's yeah. car. And uh, Brian Draper's holding the camera. And Draper says, we're going for a high death count. And his friend says, plus, we're not going... I'm sorry. Plus, we're going not to get caught, Brian. If we're going for guns, we're just going to end it. We're just going to grab the guns and get out of there and kill everybody and leave. And Brian says, we're going to make history. We're going to make history. And then... Tori says, for all you FBI agents watching this, because they thought they were so cool the FBI was going to be after them. <laughs> um, and then he says, you weren't quick enough. And they laugh, because they're stupid. And then he says, uh, you weren't, and he has, a, he has a speech impediment, so I'm not going to mimic that. <laughs> uh, but he is, like, stuttering, and it's really awkward, and they say, uh, and um, because they're stupid teenagers and we do that too <laughs> just kidding but anyway. we're not stupid teenagers we're stupid young adults <laughs> um but he says we're going over to jane they put in parentheses jane doe's house they took out this girl's name because she was underage um this isn't the victim this is somebody else uh we're going to snoop around over there and see if she's home or not and if she's home alone splat she did and then they say, don't put your humor into this, Brian. They okay. Were being serious as they giggled and laughed. So what happened is they had picked a girl to target. They went to her house on the 21st. She wasn't there. So they decided to target their quote unquote friends, Cassie and her boyfriend, Matt, because they knew okay. that they were alone in a house. Good fucking friends right there, bro. They also <laughs> had absolutely zero guilt about targeting their friends. In the videos, Jesus. they say they say this like quite often. Um, let's see, Brian says, We found our victim, and sad as it may, she's at uh I'm sorry, we found our victim, and sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddard and her friends. You're her friends, so are you going to fucking kill yourself too? Jesus Christ, this is ridiculous. These are terrible friends. These are not friends. These are fucking nutbags. They're not Sorry. even good murderers. They're so stupid. No. They're so, they documented their whole thing. Yeah, this is fucking dumb. Um, on September 22nd into the 23rd, like I said, Cassie Jo was house-sitting for her cousin and her cousin's family. Hmm. Um, Cassie had invited her boyfriend over, who had invited Amichek and Brian to hang out at this empty house and they were going to watch a movie. The two arrived around 7 and they left at like 9ish give or take. 
They went into the car and started recording themselves after they left. And while they were in the house, they had like gathered the layout of the house. They went downstairs and op- unlocked the back doors so that they could sneak in later. Shortly after, the power went out. And in the first article I read, it just says the whole community lost power. But what actually happened is the two snuck in through the back. They went down to the basement and they flipped the breaker thinking that Cassie would come down to check the breaker and that's when they would kill her. But she didn't come down because she's like, I'm not stupid. It's dark. I don't have a flashlight. I'm not going yeah. to the basement. So that failed. <laughs> um, so they ended up going upstairs and her boyfriend, Matt, had left. Uh, when the power went out, he called his mom and said, hey, can I spend the night? The power's out. She's scared. And the mom was like, no, I'm going to come pick you up right now. So he left, and she was laying on the couch, and the two snuck up the stairs and stabbed her 30 times. That's fucking excessive. Yeah. Uh, 12 of those stab wounds were determined to be fatal, or like potentially the fatal blow. 11 of those were attributed to a single knife, which was like a serrated hunting knife. And only Mm. one of them was to like another knife, although that other knife had done like a bunch of shallow pets type things so right then you get the idea that only one person was like truly committed to this <laughs> uh which like billy and Stu, i think billy was the one that was like really into the murdery part and Stu was just like all right not that he was any more innocent but anyways her body wasn't discovered until the 24th when her 11 year old cousin came running through the door and found her 11 or 13 something like that damn um immediately those two were brought in for questioning because matt the boyfriend was like oh yeah we hung out with them right before and uh, yeah of course the last people to see him alive fucking idiot and so their whole plan was that they would murder her buy a ticket to a movie which was after the time she got murdered which made no sense that's not an alibi <laughs> no um and then they would say that oh they went to a movie and they would be fine but what happened was brian while being interviewed by the police, uh, could not describe the movie they saw. Fucking idiot. <laughs> so the police brought him back for a second interview and was like, listen, we know you didn't go to a movie. And so Brian, thinking he was so smart, was like, oh, yeah, we didn't go to a movie. We were just using that to cover up the fact that we were breaking into cars. And the cops uh-huh. were like, you're lying. We didn't get reports of break-ins. Like, whatever. You're fine. You're stupid. Uh, so then they searched his house and they found the sheath to a knife. And he was like, I don't know where the knife is. Of course not. So they brought him in for a third interview. And this is uh, kind of like a quote segment of what happened. So Brian admitted that he and Tori unlocked a door at the house in the basement and they would return to scare them. Uh, they wore masks, black clothing, and gloves. They both had knives. Basically, what happened, or what I said happened, and then, but what he says is that Brian thought the whole thing was a joke intended to scare Cassie, Casey, Cassie. Her name's Cassie because Cassie's mm-hmm. Casey's in the movie. Cassie's real life. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he thought they were going just to scare her with knives because that's smart, um, and that when they got up there and they scared her. Tori started stabbing her and he had nothing to do with it. And he was like, bro, what are you doing? 
and he didn't stab her at all. And they were like, okay, no, that's not what happened. There were two different knives used. We know it. And so then a police officer, I guess, suggested that maybe uh, his friend had told him, like, if you, you have to stab her so that we are equally at fault or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. And so he, hmm. he stabbed her just once. And then, right. four, and then four extra times. Right. Um, he also took the police officers to the site where they had buried all of their evidence, which had the tape, the clothes, the knives, like everything. Mm-hmm. And in 2007, Idaho state juries convicted both teens of first-degree murder and since sentenced them to life in prison, despite the defense arguing that they were just making a scary movie and that their films shouldn't be used in court. Right. Okay. We're just making a scary movie, but it's this exact person that we're going to kill who is a real person. Oh, and she's our friend. And we killed her. Also, yeah, right after they murdered her, they ran into the car and said, oh my gosh, we did it. We killed her. The time is so-and-so-and-so. She's dead. I'm so pumped right now. I'm hyped. So, yeah. Yeah. Great friends. Uh, Brian tried to get out of his prison time a lot because, again, I didn't de- do any of that details, but the way that the police handled it um, to some people is kind of questionable. They were very suggestive in their interviews, which you're not supposed to be suggesting. You're supposed to do, like, open-ended right. questions. Yeah. Um, and... They also interviewed him without his parents present a couple of times. And so he tried to be like, that was illegal. You can't use any of that. My parents weren't present. But they did get in a recording of them saying, listen, you have the right to have your parents here before we question you. Do you do you want to talk to us? And he was like, yes, I waive my right. So that's how they got around that. But there were. Well, yeah. So it, it could have been bad if they had had other circumstances. But luckily, like it worked out. Interesting. Again, they tried to argue that it wasn't premeditation, but they have receipts. That sounds like fucking premeditated to me, goddammit. Yeah, in addition to the videos. Uh, and they had, like, writings that they had Yeah. Tried. They had asked an 18-year-old friend to go with them to a pawn shop to purchase the knives they used to kill her, because you can't purchase them under the age of 18. So there's, like, receipts and ATM withdrawals and everything for that, which they did like a month prior to the murder. I just, I truly love that they have this big plan to like murder a bunch of people and they got caught immediately. Like they didn't even have- They're dumb. They're dumb teenagers and murder is dumb. Don't, don't kill people. Yeah, it was great. Uh, (laughs) And then just as a final thing in 2017, I think it's the Supreme Court ruled that you couldn't convict a minor to a life sentence. Because they were like, oh, they're kids. Um, So they took a lot of time to go case by case of every kid who has a life sentence and decide whether they could be released or not. These two did not get released. It was not overturned. They are still in prison. Good. Sir, I see you right. But yeah, that's the case I was talking about. It's, well, what they did has nothing to do with scream it's like i think a coincidence um you also can't blame scary movies for your choices no 
just uh, the way you can't blame video games for your choices. But they were as equally and as equally stupid as those two. Ah, dude. Yeah. Sounds like it. But that is Scream and some true crime cases. <laughs> and I love this movie. Please, yes. please, please go watch it. It's such a good, iconic satirical horror movie that is the perfect funny horror movie that just makes fun of horror movies i love it our next episode is going to be on the haunting in connecticut one and two it is a listener request whoop, whoop. i actually really enjoy the first one the second one is okay this will be my first time watching it so whoop de doo yeah <laughs> and if you have any requests Please uh, send them to our Instagram or Facebook at or underscore cats underscore witch hats. We you can also send you can also send us your cat pictures and and things like that too. We'll yeah. happily accept those. Any of your horror paraphernalia things like that, we'd love to see. Yeah, and you can also send things to our Gmail at or cats witch hats at gmail dot com. It's just all one word right there for you. <laughs> and otherwise uh don't yeah. kill anybody oh. yeah don't kill people and don't get don't gang up with your friends and be like we're gonna go kill somebody it's, you're not gonna be the, the 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 final survivor you're gonna be the final caught killer <laughs> yeah yeah meow <laughs> <laughs>